morning. Um, we're reading Luke 10, verses 1 through 12, and it's on page 1027 of your Pew Bible. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Thank you, honey. First of all, uh, wasn't that wonderful having Ben play for Offertory? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And he actually has his senior recital coming up. When is it, Ben? It's March 25th, 3 p.m. up at Nyack. If you want more information, let us know. And would love for you all to come. Would love for you to, to come support him if you're available. Again, March 25th. 3 p.m. up at Nyack, his senior, senior recital, you get a lot more of what you just heard. So, Ben, we are blessed to have you playing uh, with us this morning. Yeah, awesome. So, I hope you all had, I'm a couple weeks late on this, uh, but I hope you all had a wonderful Valentine's Day. Uh, I had a great Valentine's Day. Uh, of, I got, my wife blessed me with all kinds of treats. Uh, I received cards from my, my children. They they made Valentine's Day cards for me. Uh, it was just really precious. And then something kind of strange happened. I actually received a couple of cards from a couple of friends of mine, a couple guys, a couple guys that I know uh, sent me Valentine's Day cards. And what's even more remarkable than that is they, they actually sent me the same card, the same e-card. You'll never believe this. They sent me exactly the same one. Let me show you the card that they sent me here Yeah, I mean, that's love right there. I'll drop everything to be with you. Those of you who don't know, I'm a huge Patriots fan, huge Tom Brady fan. I was eating a smoothie this morning that comes out of the TB12 performance manual. Uh, I love Tom Brady, so they were just showing me some love. Of course, this is very well photoshopped. It is a picture of a play in the Super Bowl where Tom Brady, the quarterback, actually actually became the receiver. It was this trick play where he ran out in the field, and I think it was Danny Amendola threw him a pass, and he dropped it. Today we're continuing in our series. It's going to go somewhere. It'll come back. Today we're continuing in our series called Surrender. We're going through the second half of the book of Luke. 
uh, really more than half of the book of Luke, but hitting some of the highlights. And as we've seen, beginning in chapter 9 of Luke is this significant turn in the narrative that, has, that unfolds. And beginning in the end of chapter 9, there is this verse, verse 51, where it says that from this point on, Jesus journeyed towards Jerusalem. He journeyed towards Jerusalem. So it's this idea from a narrative standpoint, what Luke wants us to see as we read this, is he wants us to read everything from that point on in light of the fact that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, that Jesus is on his way to die, that Jesus is on his way to fully surrender his life to the Father for the will of God, for the will of the Father. And, and so what we see throughout these chapters is, is him increasingly surrendering himself to that will and then inviting us is really what Luke wants us to see this as, is he's inviting us to journey with him, to journey with him to the cross and to surrender ourselves more and more to him. And so we've, we're taking this series and we've put it right alongside the season of Lent, And Lent is really a season of surrender. It's a time that traditionally in the church where we we put more focus spiritually on following Jesus. We we let go of many of the things that we hold on to. It's a time where we often fast. Sometimes we will give up things. We'll fast from food or alcohol or TV, entertainment, or whatever it is that that maybe something in your life that you really love, and, and the truth is that sometimes that's what you love even more than God, and so it's an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get rid of that, and I'm going to focus on God, and, and even sometimes it's just symbolic. Sometimes these things aren't necessarily to the point of idolatry, but it's symbolic that, that as you give up that donut... As you give up that cup of coffee, it reminds you of the deeper calling to surrender your life in even bigger and deeper and more significant ways. And so that's what this series is all about. It's about surrendering more of ourselves to God. I invite you to think about what that might look for you in these weeks leading up to Easter. Uh, We have in the back, I meant to bring one up here, but I'm creating a family devotional uh, that I encourage you to take home that you can do each week. It's just, it's one day a a week. It's just one lesson uh, for each week that coincides with the message. And basically, if you get, uh, if you get the little packet with the the little purple cover, and it's got a little ring in it, and then each time you come back, you will find another lesson ready for you to clip in there, just because I didn't have them all ready for the whole series. You've got to wait for me to produce them each week. But when you come each week, you can get one of those. You can put it, yeah, Pat, Pat's got it right there. Pat, will you show us? That's right, here's our family devotion model. That's right, that's right, absolutely. Uh, we'd love for you to pick that up and, and take that home as part of this whole idea of, of surrendering. So we're, we're looking each week at, at different aspects of what it means to surrender our lives to God. And today, we're looking at this idea of mission, that we're called to surrender our lives to the mission of God, that what we see here in this passage is Jesus sending out his disciples as missionaries. He's sending them out on mission. Uh, He's sending them out to evangelize the world. Now there, I said it. I said that word. They've been sent out to evangelize the world. And and I know when I say that word evangelize, uh, I think for many people in our culture, it makes their skin crawl. That this word evangelize, to evangelize people, that in our culture, 
uh, people see it as, as inappropriate and, and in some respects as sort of judgmental. This idea that you would evangelize means that you're coming in with this attitude of superiority, that your way of seeing things is right and their way of seeing things is wrong. So there's this sort of inherent judgmentalism that seems to be present when you do this, right? And so people say that's, that's inappropriate. It's, it's not right for people to evangelize. Now, the problem, and I, and I say this every time this kind of issue comes up, and I try to put it in different terms. The problem is that as soon as you say that, as soon as you say it's inappropriate and judgmental for people to evangelize, you're actually evangelizing. That's what you're doing. You're doing your own form of evangelism. To say it's inappropriate, it's judgmental for you to evangelize people with what you believe. What you're actually doing is you are evangelizing people to convert to your worldview, which is that of pluralism. And that is pluralism, this idea that, look, everybody's views are equally valid, and therefore we shouldn't, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't try to discuss this or try to bother people with what they believe because we can just... Con- We can bring all of them together if we want to. And we need to realize that is as much a worldview as is the Christian worldview. As Tim Keller always says it, he says, uh, inclusivism is closet exclusivism. It's just as exclusive as the so-called exclusive evangelism. So when somebody says that, and people say this all the time, this is what's amazing. Well, I just don't think it's appropriate to evangelize. And I don't think they even realize they're on mission. They're out. They're doing missionary work. They are living a missional life, the missional life advocating pluralism. And so I just want to say, if that's judgmental, then we're, then we're all judgmental. Everybody's ju- If that's what you want to call judgmentalism, I don't think the idea of evangelizing is inherently inappropriate or judgmental because we, we all do it. So the, the question, of course, then becomes, well, okay, so then what people say is, well, maybe it's not that you're evangelizing. It's the way that people do it. Right, it's the method, it's the approach that people take will often come across as very judgmental. You know, and, and this here, I, I hear that, and I can resonate with that. I think that we, perhaps we've all experienced or seen a sort of Bible-thumping mentality, a sort of very, sort of beating you over the head. Well, this is what the Bible says, and this is the truth, and, and if you don't follow it, you're wrong, and all of that. And, and it can come across with this sort of superiority attitude. Uh, and, and I don't, you know, I can see why people wouldn't resonate with that. Now, of course, the question you might be asking is, well, Kevin, isn't that exactly what happens in this passage? I mean, doesn't it sort of seem like that's what's going on here? I mean, it, it seems like they're, they're, they're coming and saying, if you, you know, if you need to follow Jesus, this is the right way. The kingdom is here. And, and it seems like that's kind of how they're doing this. It seems like the approach that they're coming at is precisely this sort of inappropriate judgmentalism uh, that we, we don't like, that we think is inappropriate. But I think there's, this is where we've really got to try to understand. We've really got to try to understand what's going on. And, and let me, let me uh, let's see, where is this in chapter 10? I, I want to at least draw attention to the verse. Yeah, here we go. This is what I'm talking about. This seems, of course, very judgmental and inappropriate. Verse 11 um, no, beginning verse 10, when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Right, this sort of, I mean, it just seems very, you know, you know separative and, and you're, you're wrong and we're right. I mean, isn't this exactly the kind of judgmentalism 
that we don't like and think is inappropriate? Well, here's, here's, here's what we need to understand. Here's, the, here's the, the interesting thing that's going on in this passage, particularly in the historical context here, is that really what's going on is they're actually preaching tolerance to very intolerant people. That's the irony of what's going on here. That they're actually preaching a message of tolerance to very intolerant people. And then what they're doing is they're saying, look, you're, you, you're, you're being very intolerant. That's actually what's going on. Let me, let me just unpack what's going on here. So in this passage, Jesus is sending out his missionaries, and this is all taking him within Palestine. This mission is, is all to first century Jews. That's who this mission is to. And what you need to understand, if you read the Gospel of Luke, what you discover is that throughout the Gospel of Luke, the biggest obstacle that the, the people in, in Israel in the first century, the biggest obstacle that was there for them with regards to them coming to follow Jesus as it is laid out in the Gospel of Luke is precisely Jesus' inclusivism. That Jesus is always trying to welcome in the Gentiles. He's trying to welcome in those outside the, the Israelite community. He's trying to welcome in those who had often seen as outsiders. And that's precisely what they don't like. And so over and over again, we see this. Of course, right after this passage, we read the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that passage, the Samaritan, who was somebody who the Jews hated, the Jews did not like the Samaritans. We talked about that last week, I think. I can't remember. And, and in that story, usually the Israelite is the hero of these little stories that they would tell. But in this case, it's the Samaritan that's the hero. And what Jesus is trying to do is to expand their understanding of who their neighbor is, to try to get them to, to be less restrictive, less judgmental, less prejudiced with regards to who they love and, and who they will, will welcome. And they don't like this. So, and this goes on further on. The parable of the great banquet, that happens just a couple chapters later. Similarly, it's a parable where, where basically the, they, the king invites all of these people you wouldn't normally invite to the banquet. And of course, that's representing inviting the Gentiles to, to come in and, and have the opportunity to be in the kingdom of God. And then it really comes, I think it really, uh, maybe the apex of this trajectory, the trajectory here is, is the parable of the prodigal son which happens in chapter 15. It's all building up to this. Many of you will know the parable of the prodigal son. There's the, the, the father, and then there are these, these two sons. There's the younger brother and the elder brother. And what happens is that the younger brother, he leaves, he abandons the family, he dishonors the father, he goes out and he squanders the, the money and the resources that his father had given him, and then he comes back. And he comes back, and his father welcomes him back into his home, throws a huge party, slays the fattened calf, right? Just welcomes him with open arms. And what happens is that the elder brother, the elder brother stands outside and refuses to go into the party because he doesn't think it's fair. He he doesn't think it's fair. He's worked hard. He's the one that deserves all this. So he's standing outside and he's refusing to welcome in the younger brother, and the father comes out to him and is pleading with him, trying to get him to come back in. And you need to understand what Jesus is saying. This parable is reflective of precisely what was going on in Jesus' ministry. That the younger brother represented the Gentiles, and the elder brother represented the the Jews. And Jesus is 
the, the Father represents Jesus' ministry, where he's trying to welcome in those who have been excluded. And, and so now he goes out to the elder brother, and he's pleading with him to come back in. And that, really, that what we find in this passage is the actual enactment of that parable. That the missionaries going out to, to, to do evangelism to these Jews is basically the equivalent of, of the father going out and pleading with the elder brother to come back into this party that's including all of these Gentiles. And so this seems to be, it's like they're pleading with them, but then eventually there comes this point where maybe the father says to the older brother, okay, if you don't want to come in, if you don't want to come into the kingdom of God, that's your decision. You've made that choice to exclude yourself from it. That's not what you want. That is not where life is. But I honor that decision. So you see, they're, they're actually preaching this, this, this message of tolerance and to welcome these people back in, and they're actually judging them for their judgmentalism. Christian faith is all about humility, not about judgmentalism. So we need, we need to understand this, right? We need to, God is not calling you to a ministry of judgmental Bible thumping. That's, he stands against that, that way of thinking. And this is important because every single one of us is called to be on mission. Every single one of us is called to be a missionary. We see that here in, right at the beginning actually. Verse 1 says, After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. It's significant that we see he sends out 72 missionaries at this point in the narrative because in the chapter that precedes this, he sends out the 12 disciples. If you read chapter 9, it's remarkably similar, similar, same language. Jesus sends out the disciples on essentially the same mission. And then here he sends out 72. And, you know, this is a little bit of conjecture. Clearly what's happening is first he focused on his disciples. Now he's sending out the larger Christian community. And I think it's interesting, you know, 70, there's a lot of uh, discussion about the symbolism of number 72. But I think one thing that's kind of interesting, of course, is that 72 is divisible by 12. 72 divided by 12 is 6. Maybe, maybe, and I'm sort of conjecture here a little bit, but there's this sense in which what Jesus is saying is, look, as I have sent out my 12, my disciples, now you disciples, send yours out. And he's a little bit nicer. He's like, you've only got 6, right? You guys can only handle 6. I can take 12. You know, who knows? Maybe that's in there. But the idea is now what I, first I'm going out, Jesus is on mission. Now the 12 disciples are on mission, and now their disciples are on mission. You see, he's setting out this method of multiplication in which it's not just the, it's not just the, the leaders, it's not just the, the special people, the special Christians that go out on mission. No, they're, they're raising up and training up those underneath to do exactly the same thing. Every single one of us, every single one of us is called to be a missionary. Another way of, of putting it here is, is, we'll use some illustrations that I don't know if these are good or not. Hopefully, one of these will connect. Is that Christ, being a Christian is more like playing basketball than football. Right? Because in football, not everybody on the team plays offense. In football, you know, there, there are 
football players that make millions upon millions upon millions of of dollars, and they never play offense. They never go. They, they just always play defense. You've got defense and special teams, right? But in basketball, everybody does offense. Even if you're not very good at it, even if you're mainly just good at defense, I mean, really the reason why you got that $17 billion contract is because you're good at blocking shots. You still have to awkwardly go down the, you know, that's where you get those guys that they shoot like 43% from the free throw line. Like, why are they on the team? It's because they can block shots and get rebounds. But everybody has to play offense, even if it's not what they're very good at. You see, being a Christian is a whole lot more like playing basketball than it is like playing football. Or if if you want to use the football analogy, being a Christian, this this hurts to say, being a Christian means that you're more like Nick Foles than Tom Brady. That hurts to say. You've seen the, the, can we show the picture of Tom first here, Nick? Can we go back to Tom? Yeah, so Tom tried to catch a pass. He's a quarterback. Right, see, normally quarterbacks don't do this, right? So I'll, I'll put him up for this. Normally quarterbacks sit behind the line. They never have to go out in the field, right? They never have to go out in the field, but, but he went out. You got to give him credit for this. And he went out in the field, but he dropped his pass. Well, then later on in the game, as you probably all remember, let's go ahead and show it. Fine. This is for you, Paul Chun. Is Paul? Yeah, that's right. The quarterback for the Eagles, they, they ran a trick play, and Nick Foles runs into the end zone, and he actually catches the football. So he both, he threw touchdown passes, and he caught touchdown passes. You see, some of us, I think, are, we're more like, well, we want to we sit behind the line, the offensive line. We want to sit behind the walls of the church. We just want to be behind the walls of the church and try to, you know, make, you know, get other people to go out, go out into the field where there's the contact, Right? I mean, that's why Brady's playing at 40 is because nobody's allowed to hit him, right? And so, so we don't want to go out in the field. That's dangerous. That's for other people. But we need to be more like Nick Foles who goes out into the field. Everybody is called to be a missionary. Everybody's called to be on mission. Okay, please take that. I can't look at that anymore. <laughs> Every one of us is called to be a missionary, and everything in our church is called to be missional. Everything in our church should be, every activity that we participate in and that we organize should be done with the idea of mission, thinking missionally, thinking about about how what we do is, is designed to engage those outside the church. Another way of saying this is that mission can't just be a department in the church. It's too easy to relegate, well, missions, that's for the missions committee. No, one of the things that I'm trying to encourage, and it's, it's a little bit slow trying to make this happen, but I'm trying to get the missions committee to actually come alongside and support you all going out on mission. There's actually, believe it or not, there's a, we actually have a fund that is available that if you, if you realize, like, you have some friends, you have some neighbors that you're like, I would really love to just throw a really awesome party for these friends and neighbors and try to get them just to, to build relationships with, you can actually come to the missions committee and ask for money, and they'll help you to blow it up and just make a great party. Because we want to support you in going out and being on mission, that everything that we do, everything that we do is to be on mission. Again, our community groups our community groups, your community groups could come and say, we want to throw a party, we want to do this, whatever it is. 
We want to engage those outside the church. In our community groups, we need to be saying things like, when we have conversations, when we talk about biblical truth, are we talking about it in a way that is both faithful to what the scriptures say, but is also being sensitive to what those outside the Christian community might be hearing? So oftentimes when people get offended, it's not really what you say, it's the way that you say it. And so are we creating environments where we would feel welcome inviting people to come who maybe don't quite believe what we believe, but we feel like even though they might disagree, they're still going to feel respected and honored? I mean, do we create those kinds of environments in our community groups and in the conversations that we have? That's what it means to, to live on mission. In our worship services... In our worship services, one of the things that I'm always saying to myself, always asking myself as I'm preparing these messages, is am I saying this in a way that will connect even, could connect even with those outside the church? Am I saying it in ways that's being sensitive to where they are, trying still to always be faithful to what Scripture says, but saying it in a way that is at least sensitive to where they're coming from? To to be completely honest with you, what's ironic about it is like today's sermon is about as non-missional as it comes. And I, I realized this the first time I started talking about going on mission, and I realized it's actually not a very missional thing to do. Because realize, this is awkward. If you're here today and you're visiting and you're not a, a believer, I, I, this is an awkward t- moment for you. Because basically this whole sermon is talking about how to reach you. And that's kind of awkward. So I apologize. It's not usually like that. And this is awkward. I mean, we're, just, we're talking about how to reach people, but hoping that those people are here while we're talking about how to reach them. This is just weird, so I just have to kind of lay that out there. I'm always trying to think about that, though. What would somebody who's maybe not a believer or has questions about it, how would they feel about, about how I'm communicating things? Our worship services, are we thinking about this? Uh, do, do we have a friendliness about us that we welcome? We don't just come here to see the people that we love and know, but we're excited when we see new people and we want to welcome them in, invite them in, and do whatever we can to reach out to them. I think this church has a great tradition of that, and I really just want to continue to prime the pump on that one. Friendliness, are what we have, our facilities, are our facilities inviting? Are our facilities, when people come in, do they, do they come to a church that is something that, that where they feel comfortable, right? Or uh, currently, when they walk in the door, hi, welcome to Riverville Community Church. If you're looking for mold and asbestos, please just take a step down the stairs. Hopefully, we'll be able to remedy that after our meeting this afternoon. So, everyone a missionary, everyone on mission, every, excuse me, everyone a missionary, everything that we do is a matter of mission. Thirdly, everyone is all in. Everyone is all in. That's what we find in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Now, here's what we've got to realize. We've got to draw out the principle and not get honed in on the particularities. Uh, I think you should continue wearing shoes. Not asking you to go out, oh, we're going to go meet our neighbors, let's take our shoes off. (laughs) Or we hope people will come to our church from outside, so let's take our shoes off. That's what they did. This is where we we got to pull out the principle, uh, not not the particularities here. And what this really is communicating is that they are all in. 
In other words, can we get the picture of Tom Brady back up here? They drop everything for the purposes of God. The person on mission has this valentine to God. I'll drop everything to be with you. I'll drop everything, my whatever it is, to be on. Okay, just get rid of it. That's, that's it. I'm done with the pictures. It's this idea that I, I'll drop everything. I'll put everything behind me. I won't allow the, the purpose of being on mission to be weighed down or hindered by other things in my life. I won't let this calling to reach out to people be weighed down and hindered by my love of other things. No, no, I, I'm going to always push those things aside for the sake of mission. That's what it means to be all in. I, I won't be distracted by anything. That's what verse 4 is about when it says, do not greet anyone. It's not talking about you know, being socially rude. It's just it's this idea that there's, there's this focus. They're on a mission, and they, 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 they're not distracted. They don't want to waste time as they go. And, and I think that that actually communicates to a certain extent uh, the, the importance of intentionality, intentionality and, and focus, right? That we, we, we're on mission, and we want to be on mission everywhere we go, but we need to have some focus to that. And so that's why sometimes what I'll encourage you to do is, you know, instead of eating at a different restaurant every time, you know, pick one restaurant. I mean, not that you, have, you can't eat anywhere else, but, but pick one restaurant where you can go there and you can get to know the people who work there. Pick one coffee shop where you can sit and you, get, you can get to, to know the people there instead of going to just sort of random different ones. Start to build a relationship with the people there. Uh, I, I've started to build a relationship with my barber. And uh, actually, I'm really, I love, I love my barber. And admittedly, one of the reasons I go to the barber is he gives me the best haircut I've gotten. And it's really important, I'm digressing here, but uh, my hair is, a, is sort of a problem for barbers because I have this bald spot. I've got a genetic bald spot right here. And so, but I like to have my hair short. And so anyway, I'll, I'll, cut, to, I'll cut to the point here that the uh, most people or most barbers, either they don't cut it short enough or they leave... Uh, well, or they sometimes they'll like put a flap over it, and it's like a little toupee. It's terrible, right? Or they'll or they cut it too short, and then uh, and then Linda Morrison laughs at me throughout my sermon. I don't know if you remember that. There was one sermon she told me afterwards. Once she saw the bald spot, she couldn't concentrate for the rest of the message. So then, then I realized I had to anyway. So I finally found a great barber, and one of the reasons I go is because he's a great barber. But the other reason I go is because I wanted to be intentional about building a relationship with him. And I think actually it went a long way because this is what happens. I'll go to the barber and usually it's whoever's next. And I always, when it comes to me, I'm always like, oh, uh, I'm waiting for Muhammad. That's his name. His name's Muhammad. And a few times I tell everybody's like, ooh, what is Muhammad? what's so great about Muhammad? But I can tell he feels affirmed by this, right? And so I, I go and he's, he's, he's been cutting my hair for a while and got to know each other. And believe it or not, last time I was there, he says to me, hey, can you step outside after? Can I talk to you for a minute? I'm like, sure. So we step outside, and he starts sharing something with me that he was struggling with in his life, and he wanted sort of my perspective on it. You see, that, that comes from intentionality. It's being focused, focused in on building relationships. And th- this is my question for you. I've encouraged people to say, you know, who are your two people? Everybody think of two people uh, that, that God maybe has laid on your heart to, to live on mission towards to build a relationship with. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. 
maybe it's a barber, whatever it may be, just that you might have that. And, and in the family devotional that you'll be doing this week, it calls you to pray about that, to pray about that. Who are two people that perhaps God has, has brought into your life. So th- this is all part of this focus and this intentionality is this idea that we're called to be all in. Are we willing to drop everything for the sake of mission? Are we willing to give up certain things for the sake of mission? I'm excited that once again this year we're going to be doing vacation Bible school. Uh, Christine Rodriguez is heading that up. God bless her. And I want to, I, I just want to Put out there, is it possible that some of you might, might drop everything to help her with Vacation Bible School? Is it possible that you might even sacrifice some of your vacation time from your job, that you'd be willing to, to drop that so that you could help out with Vacation Bible School? I just put that out there as one way in which we can be all in. So everyone is a missionary. Everyone's on mission. Everyone's all in. Ultimately, what, what is this about? What are we trying to do? What is it that we want for the people to whom we're on mission? What do we want for them? And it's simply this. We want them to find healing and meet the healer. We want them to find healing and meet the healer. Verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you because Jesus has come. Because the healer has come. And so, Of course, it's all about, and I think it's important we realize the order here, right? It's that they would find healing and then meet the healer. So what we want to do is be the avenue through which they experience healing. That's the first thing. We want to be a people who can bring healing into the lives of other people. And and if you go back, you realize that the, the word heal here refers to, it's a very comprehensive word. It's not just physical healing, it's spiritual, physical, and and. And, of course, those are very much intertwined. I think it's very comprehensive. And so one way in which we might just say this is that we are called to go out and supernaturally bless people. Just supernaturally bless people. So my question for you is, how might you be able to go out and supernaturally bless people? Right? Not, not do random acts of kindness, but supernatural acts of kindness supernatural acts of kindness where people, people are wondering, well, why are they doing that? Why are they being so kind to me? And, and that's so random. And then they come to meet you and talk with you, and they come to understand it's really not random at all. What are ways that you can do this? Once again, maybe, you know, I think it's interesting. In here, Jesus tells them to, to receive hospitality well. I think in our culture, it's about offering hospitality well. That's one way in which we can do it. Again, welcoming people into your home. We live in an age where people are hungering and thirsting for community. People do not have community. 
And so if we're a people that welcomes people into our home, takes that seriously, not just at our home, but just seeks to be involved in their lives, well, what are ways in which you can do that? Again, this is something for you to think about in your your family devotional. What are ways uh, in which you can supernaturally bless your neighbors, your coworker, those at school with you? As we supernaturally bless them, as we seek to bring healing into their lives, you know, the first thing that they'll say, and this is another thing that, that Tim Keller puts it, he says it this way. He says, you know, as we go out and we bring healing into the lives of people and we bring healing into our communities, he says, you know, the first mark is this, is when people start saying about our church and about the people in our church, boy, I don't know if I believe what they believe. I'm not sure they believe some kind of strange things, but boy, am I glad they are here. Right? We, we want people to say, I don't, you know, my, my neighbor that goes to Rivervale Community Church, I don't know what they believe, but I'm sure glad they're my neighbor. They're great. I, I don't really know about that church. I don't know about what they believe, but I'm glad they're here. They're a great presence in our community. And we bring healing into people's lives. And then the, then the prayer is, the hope is that through that, that opens up avenues for us ultimately to introduce them, not just to the healing, but to the healer himself, that the heart of the Christian faith is that God himself has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only can we experience the healing that comes from his power, but we can come to know him personally. That we come to him. We surrender ourselves to him that we might be healed and that we might know the healer. We now come to our time of communion. Ushers, you guys can be ready to come up here. Steve and Randy and Ray and Paul. And we're going to do communion just like we did last week. Musicians, you can go ahead and start uh, coming up. And what's going to happen, they're going to come forward here and, and I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, uh, they're going to go to the two corners. This is not how we normally do it, which is why I'm explaining it so much. We're doing this every Sunday in Lent. We're doing it this way. And they're going to go to either corner uh, there. And then after I pray, you'll come out on the outside. The outsides, you can come out. And come up and you'll receive the elements and go ahead and take them right there. Hold on to your cup. So you can take your cup and put it back in the slot when you get back to your pew. But you're going to come forward here. You're going to take the elements. Take your time. There's no rush. If you want to come and kneel, feel free to kneel uh, here before the cross. And then when you're finished, you can go, uh, you can go up the middle and then uh, back into your seats. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we come before you this morning and we praise you that we can find healing to the deepest needs in our lives, Lord. God, I pray that right now, perhaps there are those here who are here because they are broken. And they are here because they know that they are missing something. 
God, I pray that perhaps this morning they would see it is you that they need. God, I pray that they might see the things in their lives that perhaps are hindering them from really experiencing your grace. Those idols, those things in our lives that we cling to that cannot help us, but we think that they can. Maybe it's a relationship that we're, we're in that we know isn't good for us, Lord, but we, we keep holding on to it, Lord. Maybe it's, maybe it's some pattern that we're in in our lifestyle, Lord, that we can't seem to give up, but we know isn't healthy for us, God, and what we really need is you. And I pray that perhaps as we come to the table this morning, that we might surrender ourselves entirely to you. And as we participate in taking these elements, Lord, that we might be united with you, that as you died to give us life, Lord, that as we die to ourselves and follow you, we receive that. Pray all this in Jesus' name.